Welcome everybody back to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew, and as always, I got my co-host Matt here with me. We got a fun show planned for you guys tonight. We are going to break down some quarterback options, mainly in the veteran market, as it seems like the Jets are going to be aggressive and try and swing for the fences and get a new starting caliber quarterback that they know can succeed in the NFL and has done so before. They don't want to wait on Zach Wilson. They don't want to trust in Zach Wilson anymore, and they're going to be looking outward before they look inward. We got to talk about that. But first, Matt, we got to talk about this report from Zach Rosenblatt at the Athletic over uh, over on the Athletic this morning, detailing the departure of offensive coordinator Michael Floor and the erosion of the relationship between really Lafleur, Zach Wilson, other members of the offense, including Elijah Moore, and a bunch of dysfunction that was not previously reported before. That kind of opened my eyes a little bit, and I know yours as well. That there was a lot more problems than were let on, and I think. A lot of those problems, for better or worse, were getting unfairly put just on Zach Wilson when maybe LaFleur wasn't doing his job as much of a coach as he should have either. And there was a lot of different factors at play here. Let's start there. I want to get your opinion on this report because we had quite the text stream back and forth this morning when this news first came out. I was upset about this, and I thought this was a really, really bad look for Michael Floor. that you are coaching a guy that you knew was going to take time to develop, that you had a hand in drafting. And reportedly, in the summer after his rookie year, he's going around and talking to whoever it was that he was talking to, either someone in the Jets facility or people he knows around the league, et cetera. And he's bad-mouthing Zach Wilson, essentially, saying, my offense was so great when anybody but him was playing, and basically giving the impression that he's being hamstrung by this guy that he just helped had a hand in drafting and has only had 13 games in his career, and it's his job to improve. And it, it just... It really made me feel like LaFleur was a lot more worried about him looking good and covering his own ass, for lack of a better saying, than being a coach and working to improve a player that everybody knew needed improvement. And it's just, it seemed like a really, really bad look to me. Yeah, I completely agree. It sounds like he was really digging his own gas. And it, it again, exactly. He had a quarterback that struggled a lot last year. Uh, and got hurt, came back, uh, and was maybe average at best. Uh, but I think everybody knew going into the season that that Zach needed to take a step. Uh, so yeah, him really just talking up with how he did with every other quarterback uh, really does nothing to, to say what kind of a actual coach he is and his ability to actually coach up players. More so, it's him saying, hey, I've got this great offense uh, that I can plug and play all these guys in, and that's proof that I'm amazing. And, well, you know what would prove if you're amazing? Is if you can take this uh, clump of sourdough that's Zach Wilson and mold him into something that's edible. And he hasn't been able to do that. Uh, he didn't do that. And now he's gone. And... I think he only has himself to blame for that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And to branch off your uh, bakery analogy there, <laughs> it's his job to, you know, turn this sourdough into something good. But you also have a sourdough that came from an absolutely gorgeous starter with all the tools and, and athleticism and arm talent that Zach Wilson had as a prospect that he actively regressed. And we need to be very clear that we're not making a point that this is all Michael LaFleur's fault and Zach Wilson deserves absolutely no blame and he had no part in his own regression or how he was handling the media after times like the Patriots game and any of that. That is not what 
I don't think either of us are trying to say. Zach Wilson oh. absolutely deserves criticism for mm-hmm. how he yep. played. But also but Michael LaFleur, right. But also Michael LaFleur is the offensive coordinator and as the leader of the offense, it is your job to put your players in the best position to succeed. And it is your job to work with players as much as possible to help them succeed. And to be again, to be very frank, nothing about what LaFleur is saying is necessarily wrong, but it's not his place to be saying it behind people's backs. It's not his place to be going around and as apparently talking enough that a Jets beat reporter was able to get wind of it and report on it in an article that doesn't bode well with me. And there's nothing wrong with being honest about your players and honest about the evaluation. And we said during the season, Matt, this is accountability. Zach is not living up playing to the standard that everybody else is trying to live up to. And he should be punished as a result. But if LaFleur isn't coaching to that standard either, then he should be punished too. And I think there is a lot more that went into LaFleur losing this job than than we are letting on. And this story had a lot to do with that. Specifically, a report from early in the season before Zach Wilson comes back against the Steelers, where apparently Wilson goes to LaFleur and says, hey, I'm really struggling with this offensive system. I I, kind of need things simplified for me because it's overwhelming and, and I'm and I'm struggling to understand what's going on here. Not that he's struggling to read defenses, that he's struggling there to understand their own offense and offense that he's already been in for a year. That's an alarming sign. And logically, LaFleur's answer was, okay, we're going to try and dump things down, keep things a little simple. We're going to give him simple plays with one to two reads at most. And if those two reads aren't there, then run and take off. That's what you're going to do. Accordingly, the rest of the offense, mainly the receiving group, got upset with that because they weren't seeing as many targets. And the Jets offense got very conservative and was leaning on the run game. And you went through a period where they won, you know, four or five games in a row, however many it was. But Zach Wilson was throwing for 170 and no touchdowns and interception. And their offense was okay because guys like Brees Hall and and Elijah Vera Tucker were making plays. Without those guys there, we saw those problems really get magnified. And it led the question for me, Matt, and this is what we were talking about this morning. If Zach Wilson in year two is struggling to understand your offense, what did you learn about him in 2021 before you drafted him that made him the unanimous selection by your organization and the reason you trade Sam Darnold to draft him and make him your starter? Did you not evaluate his ability to understand your own offense? Was that not the first part of your evaluation process when you watch the tape and go, okay, the physical tools are there. We love the talent. We love the motion. We love the quick feet, the mobility, the arm angles, all of it. That's awesome. That's what we're looking for. Now let's see what he's got between the ears. Was that not their first question? Was that not the first thing they tried to find out? And they knew that they had this guy for weeks in advance, if not months. So you had all the time in the world to do this homework. And if you're telling me that the Jets made a unanimous decision in March to say Zach Wilson's our starting quarterback, every move they made said that we're going to take him at two and he's going to be our starter. We're not going to sign any challenging veteran or a bridge guy or or anything close to it. We're just going to take this guy at two and put him under center week one. What sold you on the thought that you should be doing that, that less than a year later in the offseason, you're bad mouthing the guy you drafted because you think he's so bad he's holding you back. And then he's also coming to you and saying, I need you to dumb this down for me. And you're like figuring out a way to do it. And you're kind of surprised thinking he should be able to understand it. Should Zach Wilson understand his playbook better? Yes. But if you're telling me that after a year and a half plus of being in this playbook, he understands it worse than he did before he was even drafted. Come get out of here. That, that, that does not add up to me whatsoever. And it really makes me question the entire process of what happened when they took this guy second overall. 
I mean, I have a feeling that they saw what he was able to do on the field, his physical attributes, and they didn't really care about as much else than that. Or, or maybe not not to say that they didn't care. I want to say that maybe they thought that the rest would come with it, that they thought that he was smart enough to pick up what they were putting down as far as the offense, and it would all click into this one perfect quarterback that has the attributes and that figures it out, uh, and all he needed was time. Uh, what really gets me is that they must have realized at some point, even after uh, year one, that he wasn't picking it up. And if Lafleur's, you know, talking crap about him uh, in the summer, he definitely had that feeling as well. Uh, I, I can't imagine Zach going to them and saying, hey, I'm not understanding this was the first time that they realized he wasn't understanding it. Uh, because they kind of did this dumbing down in later in the season last year, too, uh, where they kind of simplified things and made him a game manager. Uh, and he, he fared a little bit better. But uh, So it wasn't just this year where we saw uh, the dumbing down of, of the offense uh, rear its ugly head. So then that begs the question, if they knew this, well before this season even started, why didn't they do more to protect them? Why didn't yeah. they, or protect themselves really, by having a better number two quarterback or at least somebody uh, to to really step up and be that veteran present uh, at the quarterback position while Zach figures it out because it was obvious to them that he did it. Yeah, it really was. And it really doesn't add up to me how they come to the conclusion that he's going to be the starter. He's always going to be the starter. We believe in him and, you know, barring a disaster, like we saw that was going to be the case. There had to have be, had to have been some indications that this was going on beforehand, like you're saying Matt, And that's what really makes me wonder what happened where the spring of 2021 happens. And a supposedly every member of the jets brain trust that's relevant and important to this decision being Joe Douglas, Robert Sala, Michael floor, Rob Calab- uh, Rob Calabrese and Gre- uh, Greg Knapp all get together and say, okay, we're going to scout these college quarterbacks. We're all going to do it by ourselves. And then we're going to come back together, give our thoughts and decide what we think should be the rankings, but we want to get our independent thoughts first without anyone influencing them. Well, they go and do that and they come back and their decision comes back to say, okay, there's a clear cut top two quarterbacks. These are the best two guys. And as we know, those were Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. So what did you learn after you made the decision? We're taking this guy second overall. We're training, trading Sam Darnold. We don't have to worry about whether he'll be available because we know the Jaguars are taking Lawrence and we can have him if we want him. Let's start working. Let, you know, let's, let's get a jump start on developing this guy and figuring out who he is. And if at some point through the process, you don't like what you found out and he's struggling to pick things up, that's when you have to go back and pivot and say, okay, maybe we have to rethink. Or if you're dead set on taking him because he is talented and you think he can develop, then don't just throw him under the fire as a rookie and expect everything to work out and and act like everything's going to be fine. There's just so many missteps here for me that, and then you add in the friction from the offense, Elijah Moore apparently blasting Michael Floor during practice and saying, go F yourself. And and that's why he got benched before the Denver game. You had Garrett Wilson's frustration at the end of the year. You saw clips on tape of Uzama and Tyler Coughlin and Dwayne Brown throwing their hands in the air, being like, come on, what's going on here? And you have all this tension on the offense. You go to the end of the year, you start, you start Mike White against the Bears. He plays well against a bad team. 
can't get in the red zone against Minnesota. Mike White breaks his ribs against Buffalo, and your offense died immediately after that. Now Zach Wilson's not in the lineup, Michael Thor. Now the guy that you're talking about and saying is the reason that your offense is failing isn't there, and you still can't do anything to help your players succeed or make any sort of spark on an offense when the playoffs are on the line and it is literally win or go home, you completely and totally fall flat on your face. And and the last thing I want to say, Matt, before we get into these free agent quarterbacks, unless you have anything to add, is what really just digs deep at me, especially this morning, is that in every single press conference that Michael Floor had in two years in Florham Park, he says, it starts with me probably a hundred times where he'll end it basically every sentence, basically it starts with me and we got to be better. And that starts with me where you're, you're trying to put out this outward persona that you're taking accountability and you're the offensive coordinator and it's your job to make everything better and say all the right things. And then after a year of things being rocky, you go behind everyone's back and start bad mouthing a guy who needed development because two veteran quarterbacks that had years of experience in the league played well in your system. And another guy who was a former backup and also had some NFL experience comes in and throws for 400 yards off checkdowns when the defense had no tape on him. Are you kidding me? Like this is, that's such a, a Bush league move. And I'm, I'm going to end by saying I am glad Michael Flores is not the offensive coordinator anymore. I, I agree. Uh, one thing that you mentioned uh, going back a little bit, so why it's not adding up and something that kind of sticks out to me, you're listing all the, the, the brain trust that was put together to really evaluate Zach uh, and come to the conclusion that he's the guy. And you mentioned the one name that's not there, that wasn't there this season or even the season before. And that's Greg Knapp. I wonder how much influence Greg Knapp had in the conversation of drafting Zach and his confidence in developing Zach and how much of that went out the window once he passed and how much they were kind of left picking up the pieces afterwards and kind of not really knowing how to put that, that egg back together again after it cracked. Uh, so I, and, and that it, we're, we're searching for that missing piece to really put this puzzle together. And the only one I could think of is maybe now. That's about the only answer I can have, and I can understand the thought process that you can never expect a horrible tragedy like that to happen, and, you know, it's terrible, and, you know, rest in peace, Greg Knapp, we miss him, would have been great to see, you know, his career continue, all of that, but at some point you have to pivot, and your job as a coach, quite honestly, Michael Floor, you're the one getting paid to then learn how to do that and take over the role and do everything you can to improve, and I think what we saw Michael Floor this year more than anything else is that he is a play designer and not a coach. He's can be okay at drawing up some offense and creating some, you know, guys to get open and have some decent schemes every now and again. I wouldn't say he's ever been the type schematically where it's just guys are wide open on every play and the defense has their head spinning and they don't know what to do. When their offense works, it's because their stars are doing star things more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you go to LaFleur, the coach. And he's completely and totally failed to develop any of his players. Pretty much every rookie on his offense from 2021, minus Elijah Vera Tucker, got worse. Yeah. Like, that's not a good sign. No, it's not. <laughs> it, it, it's, yeah, it's letting the stars be stars and everybody else kind of is just left suffering and, and getting worse. It's a tragic story of LeFleur. Uh, but, you know, now we got to move on. Yeah, we absolutely do have to move on, and we got to get right into these free agent quarterbacks. Big news coming out today. The Baltimore Ravens have officially parted ways with offensive coordinator Greg Roman, and from their own admissions from GM Eric DaCosta and head coach John Harbaugh, 
Lamar Jackson is their quarterback. They do not intend on trading him, and Lamar will have a say in their offensive coordinator search on who he thinks have some sort of influence to who he wants to be calling uh, running plays for. This is an interesting development because I think it makes this so much more less likely that Lamar is getting traded. I fully believe the Ravens in saying they do not want to move him and they want to keep building around him because they know the type of talent that he has and they know how respected he is in that building by the rest of the team. So I don't even want to spend too much time going over the idea of a Lamar Jackson because until I see some sort of report that says Lamar refuses to play for the Ravens, I'm not going to think that this is even a possibility. No, I mean, it was a remote possibility even before. Uh, before they said he was 200% their quarterback. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it wasn't something I was really entertaining. Uh, I figured that our main target, uh, what needed to be targeted well before uh, the Jackson trade could even happen. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a pipe dream before. Uh, it's just a fantasy uh, that shouldn't even be dreamt about anymore. Uh, strike it from the record, move on. Yeah, and I want to go with one more fantasy as well that, that I really think is a lot less likely than people might actually believe, and that's Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. I just, one, the, the money is absurd, more so than Derek Carr. Like, Derek Carr's money is absurd, and Aaron Rodgers' money is worse. Like, that's, that's the first factor, is the price of acquisition, I think, is going to make that a tough sell especially when you're talking about a guy like Rodgers that is at the end of his career and you are going to be throwing a bunch of money at a guy that you don't know how long they're going to be as effective as their paycheck would make you believe that they are. The difference with a Lamar trade is Lamar's still young. He's just getting finished with his first contract. He still has plenty of quality years left to play, even if his style of play may limit that overall time frame you can still expect Lamar Jackson to be Lamar Jackson for the next handful of years, at least, and possibly longer. And if he continues to develop as a quarterback and as a passer, you could see some sort of late career Michael Vick arc where he's able to play from the pocket and plays longer than people expect. There's a possibility for a long-term successful future with a Lamar Jackson deal. That's not possible with Aaron Rodgers. And I think that's a huge, huge part that's going to get in the way of this where I just don't expect Joe Douglas to want to throw that extreme amount of money to a guy with absolutely no future with the team whatsoever beyond one to two years. I feel like he would be more willing to risk on the guy we're going to talk next about being Derek Carr and give Carr a sort of deal where he can get out of it quickly after a year or two, and if it doesn't work, move on, and you didn't completely destroy your salary cap in the meantime. But if things do go well, then you have a guy that you can still continue to succeed with for another handful of years in the future. I just I, I really don't think Rogers is a possibility. I just think the no. price is too much. And I just think the, the length of time that it's going to be possible is just not a match for what the Jets need. They have too many guys that are stars that are going to need money real, real soon to afford to be doing that. You know what else? I just don't like Rogers as a person. <laughs> I feel like he's very quick to throw people under the bus. and kind of bad mouth people uh, in his own style and I feel like he would rub a lot of people the wrong way uh, especially on a team that's as volatile as the Jets yeah. I'm young and young yeah so I feel like he'll come in with his, his grumpy ass and as soon as things kind of go sour he's going to be searching for somebody to blame uh, and I don't want that energy on our team right now 
especially if that energy is on the verge of retiring. You mentioned that cap number. It's insane. Uh, but you know what? Before we move on from anybody from quarterbacks on Green Bay, what do you think of, of Love? He's going into his last year of his contract as a 24-year-old uh, who's never really gotten an extended look uh, on the field. Do you think that he's more of an option? I'm going to be very, very honest with everybody listening right now. My opinion on this means absolutely nothing <laughs> because I am one of those sad, sad people that actually really liked Jordan Love as a draft prospect. I, I really liked his arm talent. I liked his ball placement. I liked his ability to process quickly. The accuracy needed some work and the mechanics weren't always perfect, but I felt like I was watching the tape and on top of just miscommunications with receivers or guys being in the wrong spot. He had a lot of drop passes and he had a lot of some of his best plays and best throws. I thought ended up being incompletions, but I could absolutely see what he was thinking, what he was trying and how he was trying to do it. And he puts the ball in perfect position and it just gets broken up. And so I want to be clear that I have a bit of a bias when it comes to Jordan love that I really liked him before and felt like with some time and improvement that he could have gotten better and maybe could have, you know, been a successful NFL quarterback. But at the same time, I haven't really been keeping up with how he's been in Green Bay. I haven't necessarily going to sit here and say I've studied every part of Jordan Love. And I think that if we were keeping LaFleur as coordinator, it would make a lot more sense because then he wouldn't be learning a new offense. But I'm really kind of hesitant at the end of the day because I think that you're you're it's a huge huge risk and i don't know if the jets can afford to take that sort of risk and miss and then completely and totally bottom out again and and blow any sort of window that they might have you want to you want to seriously think about a situation matt where say joe douglas trades for jordan love instead of trying to go for car or you know looking for another veteran for a stopgap for a year just to keep things going and he tries to pull, you know, a backup from somewhere else, and Jordan Love completely and totally falls flat on his face. I think that costs Joe Douglas and possibly Robert Sala their jobs. And I just don't know if they'd be willing to make that swing right now. Oh, absolutely. I I wouldn't think of Jordan Love as anything other than a last resort kind of move. <laughs> like if we miss out on Carr, we miss out on Jimmy G, we miss out on Brissett, or and maybe even Mike White. Yeah. Like, uh, then. Maybe a Jordan Love maybe looks a little bit more enticing. Uh, I think I'd rather have Baker Mayfield than Jordan Love. Really? Okay. Just because starting experience, and I feel like if you're looking for a guy that's at least going to have the right, at least what I would feel like is the right attitude, and I can understand the Cleveland situation kind of being iffy, but you also have some iffy stuff from the Browns too that made it iffy. I'm... I'm not saying I would love it. I'm not saying I would be sitting here jumping for joy. But if my choices right now were Jordan Love or Baker Mayfield, at least I can say I've seen Baker Mayfield be a successful starting quarterback in the NFL before at some point. I guess. Yeah. I'm not happy about either of those. The thing is, if we're banking on either of those guys being the guy, I feel like we're screwed from the get-go so <laughs> i would rather maybe just take a swing for the unknown at that point right i'd rather draft somebody like at that, draft at, somebody at that point yeah exactly yeah like at, at that point it's like okay 13th overall can you get an anthony richardson range and you sign you know a, some sort of stopgap veteran to come in before him while he learns i i, I don't know that's the the doomsday speculation that hopefully we aren't going to have to go through 
Let's talk about Derek Carr, because this is going to be the first domino that falls. Carr's contract, he is a huge roster bonus set to be guaranteed on the 15th of February, meaning that a possible trade and or cut scenario would likely have to happen before that date. Otherwise, the Raiders are going to be on the hook for all that money. And basically, the main reason they're getting rid of him is because of how expensive he's going to be. So they're not going to want to pay all this money to Derek Carr for him to go play on another team anyway. Not going to happen. The Raiders have already said if they can't trade him, they're going to cut him. And Matt, we've had a lot of talks off air about and, and even on this show. What other teams do we think could be in the sweepstakes for you know a major veteran quarterback like a Derek Carr? And we don't think there's that many that can actually afford him and have a need and also don't have a young guy in place that they could reasonably give starting reps to and try and see what they have in. It's really the Jets, the Commanders, maybe Falcons. May they have Ritter. Yeah, and and he's no, you can't. I wouldn't say you know 100% for sure. Yes, they trust Desmond Ritter, but they have somebody. And are they going to be in the position where you know is Derek Carr what sets them over the edge, or is it their awful defense? Mm -hmm. Is you know, is that going to be the move that you're looking to make? I don't, I really think it's the Jets and the Commanders are the two options from everything that I've seen. You know, depending on what happens in Tennessee, that's an interesting option, but they also have Malik Willis. I think Malik Willis is the type of guy that could use some time learning from a veteran, and maybe that's what'll sell the Titans on a Derek Carr, but they don't have a ton of money, you know, to work with either, and they got to figure out Ryan Tannehill's contract. So there's there's not a lot of other options. And so I really feel like for the Jets, as much as you want to be in a position where you want to trade for the guy ahead of time, make sure you get the rights to him and all of that. I feel like this is going to come down to Carr getting released, if I'm being completely honest. Uh, yeah, I, I almost guarantee that. I don't think anybody's going to take on that that contract. Uh, it's very unlikely. Uh, the only other team that maybe, maybe does Patriots, if they're looking to move on for Mac Jones. They interviewed o- Bill O'Brien for offensive coordinator uh, mm-hmm. today, it was reported, and he worked with Mac Jones before. So my thought would be, if they're doing that, is that a, this is a guy that Mac already knows and is familiar with, let's give him the best shot to succeed. And he's already familiar with New England and, you know, Patriots, he's been their offensive coordinator before. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, with Mac Jones, they they saw what he could do his his rookie year, uh, and he worked his way into the top 100. and. Uh, uh, voted on by the players. Uh, But the second year kind of fell flat, and I wonder how much they're going to really put that on their, on Matt Patricia, maybe, more so than Mac Jones. Right. Uh, So, yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if they want to stick with Mac Jones. I also wouldn't be surprised if they wanted to move on. Uh, And, yeah, that's pretty much it as far as teams that can maybe trade for them. So, yeah, it's very unlikely. Uh, and it's it's most likely going to come to him being cut. Then it's more who can who can really pay him what he wants. Uh, that would less than that contract, uh, while also being a place that he actually wants to go. Yeah, this is a question I wanted to ask you, Matt, because I really want to get your opinion on this. I think this is going to be a really really interesting decision that the Jets are going to have to make, because if he does get cut, that's going to create a bidding war. For the few teams that are interested, for however many it ends up being, it is going to create a bidding war. And I think the logical sell behind a Derek Carr is that you have a guy who is likely going to be cut. 
that you can sign to a new contract and in classic Joe Douglas fashion, you give him a three-year deal that's really a one-and-a-half-year deal and you test him for a year. And if things go well, great. You continue to ride him out and you can build around your team and you feel like you got your guy and you're a contender for that period of time. And if not, you can cut bait relatively easily, not have a lot of dead money tied up, and you can try and find whatever you're going to do next without having to have to turn into the Raiders and now have a bunch of extra money set to be paid for a guy you don't want to pay anymore. That's best case scenario for the Jets, but I don't know if best case scenario is realistic. So I want to get your opinion on this. If the Jets can't sign Derek Carr to a deal, let's just say for anything that allows them to get out for any fewer than three years, are you still willing to do it or not? So if we're going to be penciled in for four plus years uh, with an expensive contract with a guy who struggled last year, uh, was still better than anything we've ever seen or haven't seen him for a long time. Uh, but at the same time, who knows if he's regressing? Uh, all right. So I would say no. And here's why. I, as a fan, would say no because I don't have a job invested in this. I, if he doesn't, if I'm thinking more long term, where I don't want to have to be forced to watch Carr regress and struggle, uh, and just be overall not good, where I don't know if JD has that luxury to say no, because if he says no, the the pickings are very slim. And the reality that his job is on the line gets a little bit more realistic. So, me, my job's not on the line. I can say no. JD, I don't think he can say no. And that's going to be the really interesting question because I think you're 100 percent right. Is for Joe Douglas, you you can't go five and eleven or five and twelve next year. Like it, that's that's a complete and total abject failure. There's too much talent on this team now. We've seen the flashes of what they can be, and with another year of development, they should be even better. You went seven and, and seven and ten, seven yeah, seven and ten with a, a quarterback struggles all year and an offensive line that couldn't block anybody. You know there is reason to still be hopeful for the future of this team, and I feel like you have to give yourself somewhat of a reasonable shot. You can't just punt on 2023 because you're not sure who your quarterback's going to be. And it leads to the logical uh, idea that if Derek Carr is there to be had, and he's still going to be cheaper than Rodgers, and he's still going to be cheaper than Lamar Jackson, and you don't have to give up draft capital for him like you would for those two, it can be an understanding sell, because not often do quarterbacks of his caliber, for better or worse, become available like this. Where, you know, I don't think that I kind of compare it to maybe a Kirk Cousins situation where Kirk Cousins gets, you know, however much money he wants guaranteed on the open market at the time and gets his fully guaranteed deal and all of that. And has Kirk Cousins been okay for the Vikings? Yeah. But has he ever been enough to, you know, get them over the hump and and go and win in the playoffs? No, they just lost in the first round. And Kirk Cousins playing 
poorly as well as the rest of the offense was a big reason why that happened. So I, I really think that this is a you have to do something situation and it might force JD's hand a little more. But I'm going to be honest, I'm with you. If I have to pencil myself in for at least guaranteed three more three years of Derek Carr for good or for bad, that's a scary sell to me because that's going to be a lot of money tied in. That means that you got out that you were getting outbid to start with and that you had to come up and meet other prices and add guarantees and add years onto a deal for some amount of added security for Carr. And then I'm thinking at some point you have to get someone after him. And you have young stars on this team that are going to need to be paid. Derek Carr's 31 right now. He's going to be 32 by the start of 20, the 2023 season. At least three years after that puts Derek Carr at 35. Is Derek Carr at 35 going to be worth what we're going to be paying 31-year-old Derek Carr? I'm not sure. And I don't want to sit there and guarantee myself into having to find out. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? If Carr doesn't work out, JD won't be around to, to deal with the, that cap repercussion. So, no, he, no, he doesn't really if have they give him this lose. giant deal and Carr outright flounders, then he loses his job completely. And yeah. so does Sala. And then it's, you know, we're hitting the reset and you're going to have some of the best guys on your team likely going to have to be free agents to make room for the cap that you can't afford anymore. Yep. That's like and then you're, you've completely wasted any good things that you did in the past few years. It's this is such a risky move. Quite honestly, Matt, I want to talk about a situation before we wrap up here that I think is being underrated in this you know, question as a whole. And a lot of fans have starry eyes and are, are swinging for the fences and hoping for the best. And it's the offseason. It's the time for that. I get it. I think there's a better than expected or better than realized chance that the Jets starting quarterback in 2023 is Mike White. Uh, that makes me nervous, too. I mean, what? <laughs> so do you think that J.D. would put more faith in white than he would a Jimmy Garoppolo. I think every, I think all of the rest of them are going to be too expensive. And I think Garoppolo's too injury prone and too old to lead them to have any sort of future. Again, if LaFleur was still at, at, at OC, I could think you, there would be more of a sell for Jimmy, but you're going to have Jimmy come in and learn a new offense. And, you know, after pretty much everyone agrees that it's Kyle Shanahan making everything look good and you don't have a Kyle Shanahan. I feel like you're going to be spending so much more for Jimmy G than for what you possibly could get out of Mike White. Even if at the end of the day, their play is equal, I think you're spending probably half to a third of what you would be spending on Garoppolo for Mike White. Yeah, but and what if Mike White is only good because of the Shanahan offense as well? Then you didn't waste a bunch of more money. Then you're in the same boat you would be if you signed Carr for a bunch of money and he fails or you signed Jimmy for a one-year $35 million deal and that makes you have to push Quinnen's extension back a year and then he has to play on the tag and that affects your cap. You're in the same boat regardless. So I feel like right now if I was putting money down if you gun to my head you made me pick what's going to happen for 2023 and I had to stand by it I think it's Derek Carr. Like I, I, that's it, it makes too much sense logically for age timing Carr looking for a new team the other teams that are available to be had the Jets having a need still having a window and if they can create a situation where they can form a contract that they can get out of relatively easily, and that can be agreed to by Derek Carr's camp, I don't think there's going to be anything that'll stop the Jets from doing it. But I think yeah. if the price gets too high and the bidding war gets too extreme and Carr wants a five-year, you know, $200 million contract, I, I don't think that JD could, I think JD might seriously think about pulling that trigger. 
And I really think that at that point he might go, let's build the rest of the team. Let's continue to improve this roster that still needs some help. We still need to solidify our offensive line. Let's roll with Mike White, give him an opportunity to see what he can do with healthy ribs and a full year getting to be the starting quarterback. And in the meantime, if things don't work out, we'll go ahead to 2024 as a better overall team. And we're that much closer to actually being a quarterback away. And if we can find one, then we'll be really cooking. I just, this is a scary, scary situation for me where I'm really worried that Derek Carr is just going to outprice the Jets. And he might, but can you imagine the uproar if we go into the season with Mike White and Zach Wilson as the guys competing for the starting spot? You won't hear it from me. If if Derek Carr signs with the commanders for $200 million, then you're not going to hear a complaint from me. Like I'm, they there there's not many options and i'm going to try and be realistic and, and understand that that their hands are really tied in a lot of ways and there really isn't much that they can do to improve to where if it ends up being mike white and zach wilson am i going to be over the moon about it no but am i going to sit there and go you completely and totally failed and you should have thrown any amount of money at Derek carr you wanted for him to maybe be good like look at look at matthew stafford in la where injuries pile up immediately shortly after the second year he's in the career. He wins a Super Bowl the first year they're there, and then immediately the Rams are awful because all the other guys on their team were getting hurt and injured, and they didn't have any depth behind it because they've traded away all their draft picks. Well, if you run out of money because you're paying Quinn and Williams to be the best defensive tackle in football, and you're paying, eventually you're paying Elijah Vera Tucker to be one of the best guards, and then you're paying Sauce Gardner and Garrett Wilson to be the top of the league of their you know positions, is Derek Carr in four years still going to be worth what you're going to pay him right now and having to pay all those other guys to make sure your team can still function? That's just, it's, uh, I'm going to be honest. I think they're going to sign him. Like if I was, I I think it's going to happen and I think it's probably going to be for more money than either of us would be comfortable with. But I think if it gets to that extreme point of top market value, I could see Douglas backing out. I mean, I guess, but I think there are other options before I would go to White and, and Zach as their top two. I would probably bring in Brissett or even Andy Dalton for that matter. Before Okay, well I let's would... talk about that a little bit then. What yeah. are some of the 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 lesser down options? You had already mentioned Brissett and Dalton. I had already said if it's between Love and Mayfield that I think I would go, you know, Baker Mayfield because at least he's been somewhat of a starter. Who else could we possibly throw in here as a less than exciting guy that isn't Mike White or Zach Wilson if the Jets miss out on Carr? The only three other guys I, I would even mention are Dalton Brissett and maybe Cooper Rush. Cooper Rush had a, had a good string of, of games where he looked very competent for, for the Cowboys. No Minshew? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Watching him with that stacked uh, Eagles team and, and fluttering kind of made me nervous. That's a fair point. That is a very fair point. Or, I don't think you know, there's any way Tom Brady's realistic because, quite honestly, I think Tom Brady's going to the Raiders. Uh, that would be interesting. Uh, I, I I don't know why he's not retiring. How is this guy not retiring? He's going to be what forty seven years old. He's a psychopath. <laughs> the like the, the he's a complete and total psychopath. The only thing he cares about is being the greatest possible dude of all time, regardless of anything else. He literally gave up his family and wife to go and try and continue to win more Super Bowls to widen the amazing lead he already has. Dude's insane. 
Like, <laughs> dude's a complete and total psychopath. I, I'm not ever going to try and understand Brady. You know how much avocado ice cream has probably rotted his brain? <laughs> See, but you know what? That that if, if Revis can can win a Super Bowl with the Patriots, and maybe we can win one with Brady. Uh, I don't think he would ever go to us, but I I, I think that that bridge has been burned uh, over the years of him destroying us. Uh, I don't think he would ever go to the Jets, but uh, it, it's an intriguing thought. If if he does play, yeah, he's probably most likely going to Raiders or, or somewhere else. Uh, so again, that that falls back to to the other guys that we were talking about. Now here's a question for you. And I want to be very clear that I'm not saying that I expect this to happen, that I have any info saying it's going to happen. Nothing whatsoever. This is just purely speculation in January before we have any real set in stone idea of how things are going to work out for the draft. But what if there's a scenario where the Seattle Seahawks trade up for the first overall pick and they're looking to take a quarterback and they don't keep Geno Smith? Is that an option you look into? Absolutely. Absolutely, it's not. He, he doesn't look like he's. I mean, how old is Geno Smith these days? He's thirty. He's at least thirty-one. I was going to say. I, I think I remember being three. He's he's older than Derek Carr because Geno was in the twenty thirteen draft as a senior, and Carr I think was also a senior, but came out in twenty fourteen. Let's say thirty-two. Or and so, if he's available, I think he instantly uh, is is a better option than maybe even Carr. Actually, <laughs> if if that the case if the he will be 33 in 2023 got it all right now um yeah uh i he would be up there with Carr, if not my top choice uh do you think he would want to come back do you know what i honestly think might happen if that was the case i think gino would sign like a one-year prove it deal and then use the jets to go and get a better job the year after Really, at this age, do you, you think he's willing to play do a prove it deal after the season he just had as one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the NFL? I think the only team that would be willing to give him that much money right now out the gate is Seattle. And if he wants that long term consideration, then it's going to come from them. And if he were to go to another team, that they would likely give him kind of like what I was talking about with Joe Douglas. The it looks like it's a three year deal, but in reality, it's like one year if you're cut after June first. And, you know, they can move on relatively quickly without much dead money. I'm I feel like it's still teams got to be a little more sold overall. He played very, very well this year, and I would definitely bring him in, too. But I just feel like Seattle has the locker room, you know, in the support of knowing him to want to bring him back. But, you know, they have I think it's the fourth overall pick currently from their trade with Denver, and they have their own first round pick as well. They have the ammo to move up already. And if they don't keep Gino. They have the need. So I'm it, it's again January speculation. I'm not expecting this to happen or saying it will. But I, yeah. I think it's an interesting situation to monitor because if the Seahawks don't if the Seahawks let Geno Smith out of the building, then I think that signals that they're going to move up for a quarterback. If they're smart, I think they should bring Gino back and draft the quarterback and just ride Gino for maybe one of those three year deals that we wish uh, uh, JD gives car uh and then gives their the rookie time to develop uh that's pretty much what we should have done with zach yeah yeah and in all seriousness it probably is and maybe that is their plan uh it's definitely going to be interesting to be seen the important thing to for everyone to remember the Derek car domino is the most important domino 
and it's going to be the one that falls first before anything else. So right now, it's, will Derek Carr be a Jet, yes or no? We will likely know that by the end of February. And if not, that's when you're looking at some of these other options. But right now, I think the only quarterback to be concerned about until proven otherwise is Derek Carr. Absolutely. Yep. And then then the teeth start, you know, grinding after that, if, if, if that uh-huh. falls through. But uh, yeah, uh, everybody put all your, your eggs in that basket uh, until that basket falls. Yeah, start finding any old no- jerseys with number four on them. If you got any Brett Favre 09s hanging out in the closet, go and pull those out because you might be able to get some use out of them coming real, real soon if everything goes well. But we'll wait and see what happens. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, stopping by, and giving us a listen. Make sure you're following the show at OKD Podcast. You can also find me at Andrew Golden underscore 17. Matt, you know the drill. I am Matt. You can find me at Zazija. Thank you guys one more time for stopping by and tuning in. We will be back real, real soon to continue breaking down the Jets offensive coordinator search, as well as look ahead to the position groups as a whole ahead of free agency, what this team is going to look like in the near future. There could be a lot of changes, and it's as we've said a lot before the season has ended and definitely as it's going to close again. This is a different offseason than Jets fans are going to be used to recently. They really don't have a lot of flexibility, and they're going to have to be really smart and really deliberate with their moves. We'll be right there to cover it all. Thank you guys for stopping by. We'll be back real, real soon. Bye-bye. 